Welcome to the CSIS Cogit Asia podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm your host, Will Colson. In this joint episode with the Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative, we take a look at the downer state of U.S.-Philippine relations as President Trump's administration settles in. One year ago, the trajectory in U.S.-Philippine relations was very different. Ambassador Goldberg on this very podcast talked about the positive legacy of the Obama-Aquino years, the importance of the recently inked Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, and the lasting people-to-people ties. Then President Rodrigo Duterte was elected last May, and everything changed. Duterte lashed out at the United States and its leadership several times, referring to the ambassador and President Obama as sons of whores, later claiming those comments were taken out of context or mistranslated. Duterte skipped planned bilateral meetings in Laos during the East Asia Summit amid acrimony, and the relationship went into the freezer for the final months of President Obama's term. Meanwhile, in the United States, President Trump won a narrow victory in the Electoral College, campaigning on a platform that allies like the Philippines needed to do more for their own security. We asked CSIS Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative Director and Southeast Asia Program Fellow Gregory Poling to help us sort through the turmoil in the relationship between Manila and Washington. What should we expect in the Duterte-Trump era for security and economic engagement? Of course we don't know, uh, in as much as I don't think any of us know anything um, with any degree of clarity when it comes to Duterte or uh, President Trump. You know, we know that Duterte is ideologically anti-American. I, I don't think that that should be a controversial point to make anymore. Um, we can set aside the arguments about is this just some kind of geopolitical calculus in which he's balancing uh, China versus the U.S. To, to get the greatest concessions. That's not the case. He himself is happy to admit that he does not care for Americans, but he is uh, at odds with the overwhelming majority of his people and the Congress and, and the military on that point. So there's only so much he can do um, so fast. You know, the the working level relationship can and and probably will be salvaged. I mean, there will be uh, bumps ahead, uh, and the same applies to to President Trump. I think you know we've heard he, he has not said really anything um, about the Philippines or about South Asia in general, uh, but we can extrapolate from his talk about freer riding allies uh, that he you know. There will be a need by both Filipinos and folks in the Pentagon here to continue to explain why the Philippines is important. Um, but presumably that will happen. You know, there's, there are plenty of people uh, who care deeply about this alliance and, and will try to manage it. Um, but all that said, we are, we are now in a, I think, long-term crisis management situation under these two presidents. We should not expect any big improvement. Uh, It will be about trying to prevent damage. Policy issues aside, it seems that President Duterte and President Trump have relatively similar leadership styles. Does that bode well for the relationship? No. There have been plenty of folks, uh, especially in Manila, who have speculated that uh, we're now with with, uh, a new president in. President Duterte was very, uh, well, he did not care for, for President Obama very much, nor did he care for our former ambassador, Phil Goldberg. Uh, we now have a new ambassador in Manila who he seems to get along with better, Sung Kim, and he has said some very nice things about uh, President Trump. But uh, I don't think that that means that the two would necessarily be best of friends if you put them in a room together. Um, unlike President Obama, President Trump has not yet had to deal really with any issues in the Philippines, so he hasn't made any statements that would – Rob Duterte the wrong way. That is bound to happen. 
Um, you know, the Congress, if nothing else, will make statements and pass resolutions that will upset President Duterte, uh, and President Trump will presumably not get in the way of those. Uh, I don't see him doing that. There's, he's not going to invest a lot of political capital in opposing fellow Republicans in on the Hill over the Philippines. So there's a lot of, of likely flashpoints, um, and it only takes one of those to set President Duterte off and make him uh, as hostile to President Trump as he was President Obama. And then you have the personality issues. Um, both of these men are uh, notoriously mercurial. Uh, neither of them deal very well with criticism. Uh, if you have uh, Duterte in particular, who's, as I said, kind of reflexively anti-American, it's really only a matter of time before he says something else anti-American. And if that then gets to President Trump's ears, you can imagine the blowout. So uh, there are potential upsides to getting these two in the room and having them try to cut a deal. Uh, but I would argue that the costs might very well outweigh those, and it might be better for all involved if senior officials below the presidential level manage their alliance for the time being. Part of the tension animating U.S.-Philippine relations at senior levels is the perception that Manila is eager to shift closer to Beijing, as well as Moscow, following Duterte's travel to China and Russia in October 2016. Will the Philippines' need for a foreign investment to improve infrastructure and boost economic development overshadow the longtime partnership with the U.S.? President Duterte might like that to happen. He certainly uh, talked about an independent foreign policy, which is code for distancing from, from what he sees as overdependence on the U.S. Uh, and uh, just as he is reflexively anti-American, he is ideologically uh, it calls himself a leftist. Uh, he, he's somewhat enamored of Russia um, and certainly of China, uh, but ultimately the, the you know the dollars and cents are going to matter here. And while China has pledged significant amount of of official development assistance and investment for the Philippines, we'll see how much shows up. I mean that's that's going to be the first concern. Um, the the multi billion dollar investment deals allegedly cut during President Duterte's visit to Beijing last year have yet to materialize, and that's because largely because under Philippine law, all of those projects that MOUs were signed for uh, actually have to be open to public bidding. So uh, it's unclear how the Chinese are earmarked to get them. Anybody can bid on those, and and the Chinese might very well lose um, on some of those points. Uh, then there's the PR problem. You know, some of these companies are closely linked to the state, involved in issues in the South China Sea. One of them, CCCC, is the company that uh, led the dredging effort to create China's artificial islands. And when it came out in the Philippine press that that company had been tapped by Duterte and friends to uh, engage in a big reclamation project in Davao, as you can imagine, there was outroar. Uh, I, th those, I think those kinds of situations will continue to come up. Um, Chinese investment, not just in Southeast Asia, but around the world, uh, has a history, uh, especially in recent years, of overpromising and under-delivering and causing significant headaches for domestic governments when they do happen. So, uh, you know, it is perfectly reasonable to expect the Philippines to seek greater investment from China and anybody else. The infrastructure needs are uh, almost endless. Um, but uh, I think it's it's going to be quite some time, uh, and it's going to take a, a change in the way China usually does business for them to really contest with Japan and the U.S. and others as a major FDI provider and an ODA provider to the Philippines. 
On the home front, President Duterte has continued his policy of an all-out war on drugs, a campaign that includes extrajudicial killings. The policy has been widely criticized by many nations and organizations in the international community. Should we anticipate a change in course? How will the U.S. Congress respond if this continues? Greg Poling explains. Well, recently we've already seen a pretty significant change. Um, in the last couple of weeks, President Duterte has been forced to admit what everybody else has been saying, which is that the uh, operations by the police in this uh, anti-drug campaign have been riddled with corruption and, uh, well, he, he hasn't admitted to EJK's extrajudicial killings, uh, at least not on a large scale, but that there have been major problems um, with, with the operation of the police. Uh, this resulted from uh, the, the very now high-profile murder of a Korean businessman in the headquarters of the National Police in Manila um, by a group of anti-drug officers who then extorted his wife for ransom money for months. Uh, and this is presumably the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I mean the National Police have been given effectively carte blanche for months now. Uh, for every issue like this that comes to light, one must assume that there are dozens more that didn't. So the in reaction, the the Philippine National Police have now been uh, kind of taken off the case. They are no longer engaged in the drug war uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, the very small Philippine Drug Enforcement Agency is now tasked with leading that. Unfortunately, they only have a couple thousand personnel, whereas the, the PNP had uh, over 100,000, I believe. The Armed Forces of the Philippines, President Duterte would like to get more involved. They are very hesitant to do that. And then this week we, we heard from the DEA that the uh, army will actually not take the lead in any anti-drug operation. So that is good, especially for those here in the states concerned about maintaining mill-to-mill cooperation. Um, but uh, as long as the, the drug war continues and as long as – the, the president, especially in the Philippines, continues to say things that seem to uh, endorse EJKs or murder, uh, regardless of whether or not they're being ordered from the top, uh, they are being at least enabled. Uh, there will be folks, especially uh, here and in international NGOs, who are going to accuse uh, the state of sponsoring murder, and that's going to result in Legislative action here, I mean, we've already heard this come up uh, in the confirmation hearings for Secretaries Tillerson and Mattis, as well as Nikki Haley, our new UN ambassador. Uh, we are going to see, I would expect, legislation from the Hill sooner or later seeking to restrict arms sales and training cooperation with at least the Philippine police. Um, whether or not those who you know, want to see the relationship remain strong can enclave the AFP, the Armed Forces of the Philippines, to keep them out of the blowback, that's going to be the real question. Duterte's administration has been making some noise about the possibility of weapon sales from Russia and China as well. What scale of arms deals should we expect? The issue of arms sales, uh, potential arms sales from China or Russia to the Philippines. And President Duterte has certainly said that he would like these. The Russians have talked about things like subs, which seem wildly unlikely in the near future. Fewer class submarines yeah, specifically. But, yeah. but small arms do seem possible, likely perhaps, or shouldn't be surprised uh, in the next few months or years to see purchases by especially the police of small arms uh, and other equipment from China and Russia. But major platforms seem extremely unlikely. Uh, I would suspect the AFP would push back hard on that. Um, the Philippine military is a military built on U.S. and kind of NATO nation tech. You don't just shove 
uh, you know, new sukhois into that and think it's going to work. Um, we've seen how this happens elsewhere in Southeast Asia in places like Malaysia where they effectively have to run two different air forces because they decided to purchase half of their planes from the U.S. and Europe and half from Russia. Uh, it is a wildly ineffective way to do procurement, and uh, it's I, I would expect that generals in the AFP are not going to be too eager uh, to purchase large uh, platforms from Russia or China. What signposts should we watch on maritime security as a new year and a new fishing season approaches in the South China Sea? On the maritime security issue, uh, this is one situation where clearly there's a disconnect between the opinions of the Philippine public, who in recent polling over, uh, it was over 80 percent, would like to see the Philippines assert its claims in accordance with the arbitral award they received in July, uh, and the president, who does not want to do that, wants to set it aside. Um, sooner or later, something has to give. Either the president needs, President Duterte needs to get uh, a big win from Beijing, meaning a fundamental long-term change in the status quo. You know, they need to get a deal, whether it's a code of conduct with ASEAN and China or some gentleman's agreement as they have at Scarborough Shoal now that applies to the whole South China Sea to really make it clear that his way of doing things is better than former President Aquino's and will get the job done. Or he's going to have egg on his face. Um, you know, if in the spring when real fishing season opens, hundreds of Filipino fishermen pour out to the South China Sea and find that nothing has really changed, the Chinese Coast Guard continues to harass them, if they continue to be unable to access natural gas on the Philippine continental shelf at Reed Bank, which they desperately need, given that the Philippines' only current major source of natural gas, the Malampaya Field, is going to run out in the next few years, you know, if the Chinese return to harassing Filipino Marines stationed on the, sec on, on the uh, BRP Sierra Madre on, on the second time of Shoal, if any of those things happen, uh, there will be a massive outcry in the Philippines that Duterte got taken for a ride, that he, you know, he went to Beijing hat in hand, uh, and all he did was give the Chinese six months of breathing room, um, and Beijing wasn't actually willing to negotiate in good faith. As President Trump's administration engages with President Duterte in the Philippines, here at CSIS, we'll be watching. That's our show. The audio for this podcast was edited by Ribka Gemelingsari. The podcast was written and produced by Jeffrey Bean. To learn more, visit our new look, CSIS.org and KajitAsia.com. You can follow our Asia programs on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, RSS, or email on CSIS.org. Stop by our Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative site for groundbreaking analysis in Maritime Asia, now in five languages. And check out our new Reconnecting Asia site. Also be sure to listen to our latest China Power podcast. I'm Will Colson. Thanks for listening.